Our Father, it is good to uh, gather with your people. It's humbling to uh, see one of your children publicly identify with the gospel. And we've been encouraged already as you have sovereignly orchestrated your work in another individual's life. And we have been blessed to hear about that. So thank you, Father. Father, we look forward to coming before the communion table to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior. This is a precious time for us as a church. It's a sacred time. And we thank you that Christ has made a way for this to be possible. So may you consecrate our hearts now Help us, Father, to remember what what true gospel freedom is. And on this Sunday, Father, we gather together realizing how short our lives are. And so may you now take our minds, our hearts, focus them on you. May the most important thing in our lives at this very moment be your word and how you want us to respond to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Wednesday, a special holiday for those of us who are Christians, and uh, we call that <clears throat> the 4th of what? 4th of July, right. And if you've grown up as an American, you know that the word freedom carries a lot of connotation. It's a precious word to us. Uh, we celebrate Wednesday the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and we remember as, as Americans, we have freedom to vote, we have freedom to worship, we have freedom to pursue really whatever career you want to pursue, but I would submit this to you as you find your place in Galatians chapter 5, that the freedom we have as Americans is nothing compared to the freedom we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The freedom that Christ gives to us, and think of what gospel freedom gives to you. Think of all the benefits you have today. Your sins are forgiven. Security in Christ. You have your sins cleansed and of all of the shame and all of the things we've done that we're embarrassed of. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So while there's, there's shame sometimes with other individuals. There doesn't have to be with God. Because with God, with forgiveness, there is always cleansing. You also have hope today. What is our hope? What is the real hope that we have right now in this life through the ups and downs and the struggles that we have? And you also have purpose There's a reason why you get up in the morning, a reason why you go to work, a reason why you live. And I would say to you, our true freedom really wasn't purchased in 1776. I would say to you, our true freedom was purchased roughly around 33 AD on a hill right outside Jerusalem. When Jesus, the Son of God, became sin for us and died and shed his blood to wash us pure of all of our sins. We look here at Galatians chapter 5, I want to focus on one verse right now, and we'll look at a few others as the message progresses. But verse 1 here that I'm about to read, if you want a purpose statement for the book of Galatians, this is it. This is really the, the one central idea of what Galatians is all about. And Paul is addressing a controversy in the early church. Controversy is nothing new, it goes all the way back 
to the Garden of Eden when, when man sinned. So because of sin, we have controversy. And here was the controversy in the early church. You had two groups of people who were getting saved, who were coming to know Christ as Savior. And as a result of that, these two groups who were raised and trained and taught to really hate each other, that's how their parents taught them, it's what their family taught them, they were raised to despise one another. And so this, these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, were gathering together in one church, actually in several different churches, and this was causing some issues there. Uh, some of them were changing the gospel, the nature of the gospel, and there were some in the church who believed you were saved by keeping the Mosaic law, by doing works. And Paul wanted to clarify that. He wanted to make sure you understand you cannot be saved by that. You're only saved by what? Faith. Faith in Christ. And he wanted them to see that despite the fact these two groups are very different and they have different backgrounds and they grew up hating each other, right now, on this side of the cross, they're one in Christ. They're unified. They're together in the Savior. And let's look at today's verse, and this helps us understand this a little bit more clearly. Look at verse 1 of Galatians 5, if you would. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again, this is really uh, the summary statement of the book of Galatians. And if you don't mind, I'm going to take this off because what's going to happen if I keep this jacket on the rest of the service? I'm going to melt up here. And I don't think you want me to melt up here, so I trust you're not offended by that. And I'll keep my tie on if that keeps me sanctified and sacred. But I don't think you want me to melt up here because it's like kind of humid with the water going. So look again at verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. One commentator commentating on this says something very helpful. Listen to these words. Because of who God is and what he has done for believers in Jesus Christ, Christians now are commanded to become what they already are. That is, to make visible, which is what Bonita just did with baptism, and what you Christians are going to do with communion. You make things visible to others. It's kind of what you do at a, at a wedding as well. The couple's making visible their love for one another, their commitment, their covenant with one another. Make visible in the earthly realm of their human existence what God has already declared and sealed in the divine verdict of justification. So notice the verse here, two things, okay? You have a statement of fact. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's for freedom, that we're free now, okay? Now, here's the imperative. So some people refer to this as like gospel indicatives, gospel imperatives. It's real simple here. Summary statement, then a command. Summary statement, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And then now, stand firm in that. Stand firm in that freedom. So let's highlight some things. I believe the book of Galatians highlights a number of these. I'm going to highlight four. And this will be the fastest you have ever seen Pastor Mike go through four points. Four things that we can stand firm in. And the first one is this. Stand firm, friends, in the true gospel. Stand firm in the true gospel. Turn a couple pages back to chapter one if you would. Turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 6, and this is about the strongest 
wording that Paul will ever use at the beginning of an epistle. He's very strong here, very firm. He's not even like this to the church in Corinth that had a ton of morality issues. That's not how he is with the book, with the church in Galatia. He's very firm with them, and he says some words that seem pretty stern. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now before you get to verse 10, understand, he knows by him saying this, he runs the risk of becoming an unpopular, criticized man. So he says in verse 10, for for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? For if I was still seeking the approval of man, friends, I could not be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, if I'm seeking to please other people, I'm disqualified then. I can't do that. So he says these firm words and indicates here, this is why I'm saying this. I want to please him. This is the beauty of the gospel. And I want to encourage you today with this. As we take communion, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Is the gospel precious to you this morning? Is it precious to you? Is it precious to you and sacred? Does it give you a quietness in your heart in a world full of worry and anxiety and fear to know Jesus died and Jesus has been buried and he has risen again from the dead and your faith and your hope and your trust are in him alone? If you're here today and and you are not a Christian, I want to just plainly tell you this, that you have no other hope outside of this one true gospel message. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And for the one way for me to come to know Christ when I was a 17-year-old boy is the same way for you to come to know Christ today. And that is by trusting this good news. You heard a testimony just a little bit ago, and she publicly proclaimed, Jesus died for me. Jesus rose again from the dead. This is why I am a Christian. And if you're going to have any hope when you come to take your last dying breath, if you're going to have any hope, security, assurance, peace in your heart that the world simply cannot give, you must believe this message. You must come to faith in this Savior who died and rose again. And as you see us together as a church observing a baptism, taking communion, we do this not to earn God's favor. We do this because we have the righteousness of Christ. And we have this righteousness because of God's grace, because of what God has done, because of God's goodness, because of God's doing, and and God revealing to us this good news of the gospel of Christ. Jesus died for sinners to satisfy the Father's wrath, and he was buried, and he gloriously rose again the third day. That may have been the 10 millionth time you've heard me say that, and I pray It's more precious to you every time you hear that. Because not a day goes by, there is not a 24-hour interval in my life where I can afford to not remind myself of that gospel message. Over and over again, he reminds himself himself of this. And he reminds this church, look, if you're drifting, 
you're going away. Look, you're going to a different gospel. Any other gospel than the one that you find in the Bible, that's not God's gospel. There is one truth and one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the name of Christ, Acts 4, verse 12. This is what's precious to us, and this is what we cannot afford to compromise on. One thing that keeps us right and keeps us faithful is understanding the depth and the richness and the truthfulness of this gospel message. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in that. This is where freedom comes from. Now you're free to be who God wants you to be. Look at the second truth that we can look at to stand firm in. Let's jump to chapter 2 and look at verse 20, the well-known verse. I'd imagine many of you have, these, have this verse memorized. It's a good idea to do so. Look at verse 20, if you would. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Two of the most common questions that I hear over and over again from young people in particular, but sometimes older people as well, is this. First one is, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do with my life? When I was a child, you would ask this, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, at one point I wanted to be a fireman. At one point I wanted to be a policeman. At one point I wanted to be a teacher. At one point I wanted to be a coach. Um, at one ch- point in my life I wanted to be a ballerina. I'm kidding. That would not work out, would it? And I wanted to make sure you're still awake. And of course, like every young boy who plays sports, I thought one day I would play professional sports. So none of that worked out, so I chose to be a pastor. So that's how all that happened. No, but, but honestly, really, we all ask that question, what should we do with our lives? Biblically speaking, here's the one goal for everybody. You might be retired. Some of you have been retired for a couple decades already. Some of you, you're just starting out in life. Your family's just starting. Uh, For some here, you're still in school. Some here are children. But here's the one commonality, the one goal we should have for every one of us, and it's this. Here's what you should pursue. It's Christ-likeness. And the Apostle Paul says here, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but who lives in him? Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and it's personal now, and gave himself up for me. God essentially has the same goal for every one of us who've been changed and forgiven and justified, and that's to pursue Christ-likeness. That's to live out the identity of who you are in Christ. This is you. And this teaches you this. Jesus' cross is your cross. His resurrection is your resurrection. His life is now your life. And his righteousness is now your righteousness. So now, this this is why we live. This is why we breathe. This is why God has given to us life. So now we will live for his glory. God's goal for me and God's goal for you is essentially the same goal. And that's to pursue Christ-likeness for his glory. Let's look at a third thing to stand firm in. And that's our unity in Christ. Jump over to chapter 3, if you would. And look at verse 28. 
It says in verse 28 of chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all, what's that word there? One. One in Christ Jesus. How many of you were not an only child? You had brothers and sisters, okay, the vast majority of you. All right, how many of you ever at least one time in your life said to your parents, you know, that's not fair, you're playing favorites. You ever accuse your parents of that before? All right, about four of us have. You all came from good families, that's great. You're playing favorites. This happens at the workplace. Sometimes you may think that happens at church. Sometimes you think it happens with friends. You're playing favorites. I can't believe you're doing this. They get special treatment that I do not get. You know, it's interesting because the Bible uses so many metaphors about the church that we're so familiar with, like body and household and and things like a family. And those who belong to Christ belong to the same Father, We belong to the same household. We belong to one another. So that means this. All of us equally, if you're truly redeemed today, if you are truly forgiven, all of us equally belong to the same Father. He is just as much my Heavenly Father as He is your Heavenly Father, if you're redeemed. And that transcends gender lines. It transcends your background your educational level. And in Paul's day, this was a culture that was a highly divisive culture. Does that remind you a little bit of the United States of America today? How do we divide today? There's all kinds of different ways. There are racial divisions, there's ethnic divisions, there's economic divisions. There's also political divisions. And unfortunately, sometimes people look at gender Divisions, And by no means am I downplaying anything here. The Bible does clearly state man and woman are clearly created equally in the image of God. Both are equally redeemed, equally accepted, equally justified, equally forgiven of all of their sins. But there are distinctions in their roles. There's distinctions in two venues. You think of the home and you think of the church where God has ordained male leadership there. Here at Calvary, This church is never, I pray, ever going to apologize for that because that's what the Word of God teaches. Amen, friends? But we also understand this. Men and women, slave, which we don't have in this culture, or free, or Jew, or Gentile, it doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ. And as it is with any family, you have different functions. If the family's going to function the way God wants it to, That's going to be there. But each member of that family, and praise God for this, each member of that family is forgiven. They are redeemed. Stand firm in this. And this is what we have to see as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to stand firm in the unity that we did not create and we did not come up with. We are not the basis of that unity because if if we were, we would never get along. Because there's all kinds of things we could find that we could divide over. But the basis of our unity is Christ. It's Christ. We belong to him who died and rose again on our behalf. Equally redeemed, forgiven, justified, useful, accepted in Christ. Last one is this before we go to the Lord's table.
is stand firm in your love for one another. Stand firm in your love for one another. Jump to chapter 5. This is where we started a few minutes ago. And I want you to jump down to verse 13. I want you to consider these verses here. Now, I'm not going to jump into verses 2 through 12 of chapter 5. And the reason being, we, we simply don't have the time to do that justice. But what he's doing here is this. He's breaking it down and telling them, look, circumcision could never save you. Why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to thinking that those works could save you? That's not going to save anybody. You have to be a new creation in Christ. And so he's combating the Judaizers here. And he's saying, look, in the key text, one of the key texts of the book, along with 5.1, is 2.16, that you must come to Christ by faith. You're only justified by faith. Now... He sums it up this way. And here's one thing I want you to see that's inescapably clear in Scripture. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And I want to pause here. A good way to paraphrase that would be, don't use your freedom to serve you, to serve yourself, to be selfish about that. Use it rather to do this, but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but here's the flip side of this and it's not a pretty picture but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you're not consumed by one another Let me highlight a few things here with this because there's some strong words that are in the Greek, especially in verse 15. Watch out. Very strong that's there, that that wording that's there. And if you look back to verse 13, he says, you were called. That's a powerful word in Scripture. You're called to freedom. Now, my natural mind, when I see the word freedom, I think I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. But that's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is this, that you can now serve God God's way. Before salvation, before conversion, that wasn't possible because you didn't have the Spirit of God who lived inside of you. But now that you are redeemed, that's what we can do. We have freedom to serve God, God's way, for God's glory. And one thing I think you see here, we've seen it in John, in particular John 13. You see it in 1 John, that one thing that is inescapably clear is the strong link between God's love for us and now our love for one another. What's the remedy for biting and devouring one another? That's strong language. I've um, thankfully never had a Christian bite me, thankfully. Let's not break precedent with that today. But, but I've never had that happen. But, but there can be actions that can allude to that a little bit. Sometimes words can bite, actions can do that, it seems. What's the remedy for that? Now, here's how we normally think of this. Okay, here's a problem with someone. Here's the issue. And you may not, you might say, which which as Christians we really shouldn't be saying, but unfortunately this happens sometimes. I just don't like that person. Or worse yet, I just won't love that person. What's the remedy for that? Really, what's the remedy for conflict? Naturally, what we say many times is, they have to change. 
And we think that's the ultimate solution. The other person has to change. And, and you might have an element, a sliver of truth in that, but that's not really God's solution here. We often think if they just changed, if my circumstances changed. But look again at verse 13. What is God's remedy? For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, selfishly, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know the remedy, the answer? It's Christ-like love. It's Christ-like love. That's what it is. It's, it's love. It's loving. You are now free to do that. God's given you the freedom to do that, the ability, the resources, the wherewithal to do that. He's given us the grace to do that, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why, friends, things like bitterness and grudges and animosity and division and disunity and things like gossip and slander and backbiting, it's like looking at a mirror. And what it is, it's a mirror of a reflection of enslavement to sin. It's a mark of enslavement. And it's almost like this, when we go back to those things, you want to call it here the biting and devouring, it can manifest itself in so many ways. When we go back to that, we're once again living like we're not free, like we've not really been redeemed, like we've not really been forgiven. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And in that verse, I'll be quick with this, and in that verse there's a real important word to get if you're going to understand the Christian life, and it's that word submit. Too often we just think of that word, we think of it in regards to marriage, but it's for all of us. Where it says in Galatians 5 verse 16, submit to the Spirit of God, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled, literally controlled, by the Spirit. Submitting not to the flesh, not to our passions, not to our feelings, not to our emotions, but to the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. That's freedom. Real freedom is giving our lives to the one who died and rose again on our behalf. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to take a moment here to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. We're going to sing a couple stanzas of a song, and then we're going to transition into communion. And I want us all to understand what a, what a sacred time this is. Friend, if, if uh, you truly are redeemed and you are forgiven, then we welcome you to take part in communion here today. If, uh, if you are not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to share the gospel with you. And I could tell you this, that calling out to the Lord in your heart right now and simply crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I turn from my sin and I turn to Christ. You can have your sins forgiven. And I'd encourage you to search me out after the service. Look for me and I'd be happy to discuss this with you a little bit more. But also understand this, the communion elements cannot save you. And that is not the literal blood of Jesus, it's not the literal body of Jesus. Because the literal body of Jesus is where, friends? 
in heaven and praise God. And one day, he is going to return for his bride. He's going to return for his church. And that, friends, is our ultimate hope. So let's pray and prepare our hearts at this time. Father, as we remember our Savior, we want to remember that we are commanded by our Savior to remember him. And we're also commanded to have certain heart attitudes when we come to the Lord's table. So may we be careful. May we be reflective. I pray that you would reveal to us any and all sin right now that needs to be confessed to you, realizing you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how we thank you, our great God and Savior, that you have redeemed us and you've made this possible. So may this be a great time of rejoicing and a great time of realizing the triumph we have in Christ. In his precious name we pray, amen.